0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where we bring you conversations with experts in fields related to urban farming and dive a little deeper into some of the important issues of our times. Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com And you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today, we're chatting with our own seed expert, Bill McDorman, as he shares some wisdom and discusses thoughts and concerns that might occupy the minds of those of us who are saving seeds. Welcome to the show today, Bill.
1: Oh, hi, Greg. You know if we keep doing this for a few more years, maybe we'll learn how to do it, huh? Yeah, there
0: you go There you go. Sorry we before we started up here, we had some technical difficulties. Welcome to my world in technology.
1: anyways, we have
0: a very special guest tonight that I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce Bill Wow,
1: one of my favorite people and a person I consider one of my elders and mentors as far as growing corn and in life in general, and I think you'll learn something about that tonight. Once you hear Greg speak. Because in a really fundamental way, corn is life. It's a great teacher of life. And I've learned a lot about life and corn by hanging around Greg. He came into my life by sharing what we came to call Glass Gem Corn from one of his teachers, Carl Barnes. And so if you've seen Glass Gem Corn on the internet, flying around pictures on the internet, and it's been out there, I think. Last time I checked on the Glass Gem Corn Facebook page, there were over 13 thousand followers these are people from all over the world that are now growing this beautiful and wonderful corn that greg really in my opinion helped birth
0: you keep saying greg
2: it's not me greg the other greg no yeah the other the other greg exactly just... <laughs> say hello to everybody greg yep. chain. Well, i just saw this like well maybe two days ago and i thought oh i better jump on this but i'm in travel status right now i'm out on the east coast visiting family then I'm going to be, you know, doing some stuff in Oklahoma for a while. Just dropped into where I'm at now, and actually I thought I was a little late, so found out I didn't consider for Pacific time in Arizona. So, great. I was got to do the whole thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: relax. Catch your breath. Chime in yeah. where you want to. And as I was saying, I hope yeah. everyone out there gets their corn questions yeah. out because this yeah. is the guy that I go to when I have questions. And I think you'll be surprised at some of the answers. So I'm really looking forward to it tonight. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, let's jump in. What about corn?
1: (laughs) Well, it is, as Michael Pollan says, we'll just start with the big picture where I usually like to start things. We live in, as he calls it, the United States of corn. Corn or some corn byproduct is in approximately 80% or more of all of the processed foods that we eat as Americans millions of acres and Millions of bushels and pounds are produced each year. Although there is some controversy about that because not even the majority of it is actually grown for human consumption. It's either done to make biofuels or is used to feed animals. In fact, the majority of it is. And the vast majority of it is genetically engineered at this point in this country. We've got one company now that owns patents that in 90% of the corn that's planted in the United States, at least one patent, a one part of it. And so the seed sources for most of the nation's corn now are incredibly centralized, actually maybe come down to three companies on the vast majority of it. They are breeding new varieties for only industrial agriculture. This is a segue into me saying, wow, if you want your own variety of corn, something that grows best where you are, whether you're looking for sweet corn, which are the kinds you just peel the husks off and roast right up and eat, or to make a flour or polenta or any of the other great dishes that come out of corn. If you're looking for your own variety, well, you'll probably have to start working on it yourself. And I'm hoping that tonight that's what this is about. One, get you excited about it. Maybe get you freed up so that you think you can do it. We'll get you through some of the myths. And then I personally have some questions for for Greg Shane about how to proceed on a corn project that I have. Let's get started. Are there any questions from the outside world yet, Greg? Oh, yeah, Peterson? we're getting
0: questions coming in. But I want to talk about Glass Gem before we go there. Have you had
2: any success in the Phoenix area with, that? with corn? With the uh, glass gem corn.
0: I have not tried glass gem corn. Okay. Corn is yeah. really hard in Phoenix because of the heat, number one, and army worms. I did a 20 by 20 plot with 400 or so stocks of corn in it. I'm going to say mm-hmm. four years ago, and it significantly got annihilated by
2: army yeah. worms. And that's a pretty good density. I always think a 20 by 30 will let you do 300. That's 300, about the yeah. density that I would use. Yeah. You have a Tahona Odom white corn that is supposedly, I've never grown it, 60 mm-hmm. days from planting to dry corn. Right. They grow it yeah, under yeah. those conditions. They plant with the beginning of the monsoons and yep. they do that floodwater farming. Mm -hmm. And they get it up and get it out of there. Yeah. And that one may be adapted enough to the high temperatures. Probably during the monsoons itself, you get those cool afternoons, and it can go ahead and pollinate and set the seed. Right. And that's the problem when it's hot. It won't want to set seed when it's tasseling silks and pollen going to the silks, and it's consistently hot like that. Yeah. Ah. It it won't make, yeah. Well, that makes sense.
1: And, Greg, were you growing sweet corn?
2: Yes. Army
1: worms are yeah, more yeah. likely to damage sweet corn than they are yeah. the kind of corn that Greg's talking about, and even less yeah,
2: field of, well, of well,
1: flint well. corn like glass gem.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah.
1: So let's talk, while I
0: have both of you here, let's talk about glass gem for a little while. What is it? How did it come to be? How did it come to crash a... <laughs> website because of traffic, everybody wanting to know about it. Tell me the story because it's it's a fascinating story as far as I can
2: tell. It's a combination of some flint corn of the Osage people. If you start getting into corn, then you start getting into who are the people that basically stewarded those varieties that originated from the deep history of corn. And so you start getting into corn and all of a sudden you're like in with all this native history. And so the Osage people were plains and upper Missouri and that region. And then during the time where a lot of the native people were moved to Oklahoma, they have a sizable area that they live in, in northern Oklahoma, and they still have some of their old flint corns. And there's a gentleman out there that I got to meet at Carl's memorial after he passed away that introduced himself to me. And he was one of the people that gave Carl some of the original germplasm that went into what's now the, that rainbow corner glass gem. And I believe that there is some Pawnee popcorn in there that Carl worked with. There might be this one called Cherokee long Ear that could be in the mix somewhere. And Carl worked with that. Then I discovered when I met Carl in 1995, I got my first sample of it. And then I got some more samples of it over the next few years. I grew it. It was an interesting kind of a journey with this stuff because it did different things for me. And I got some other samples of it from him so that I could broaden its genetics a little bit just by having more. Then I ended up moving to New Mexico and I grew it a couple of times out here. And then I was out in Arizona for a while. And then I was Back in New Mexico, and I met a man by the name of Jose Lucero on the Santa Clara Pueblo, north of Santa Fe. He was interested in doing corn. He just sort of let me do whatever I wanted, and he had some fields, and we had irrigation water. And I was still exploring all the corn of northern New Mexico, so I had other stuff growing while I was growing this, what what I called at the same, at that time, rainbow corn from Carl, uh-huh. what I had that probably interbred a little bit with it was the Pueblo popcorn, and what that did is that threw in sort of a whole layer, sort of additional blood and strength that made that corn what it is now. I grew it for three years there with other corns around, and in the fourth year, I took the very best of what I had and just planted just that. That was in 2008. It was evolving kind of right before my eyes. I was kind of like just no formal plant breeding. It was mostly very light selection, kind of shepherding it in different directions, but I tried to keep it as broad as I could. Mm-hmm. So in 2008, then I ended up moving from Santa Fe to a location much further south, you know, so I didn't grow anymore at Jose's place. And in 09, I just took a lot of my stuff from that last crop and brought it to Bill McDormand because I had met him before out in Cornville and said, hey, you might like to play around with this. It's really interesting. I gave him a bunch of photographs and because I'd been doing a lot of photography of it. And I said, you might want to use this for your educational stuff that you're doing. That was it. I took off on another adventure, but I every so often I would pop onto Bill's Seeds Trust website and take a look. He picked out one of the photographs. I had done a couple of slideshows, so I had captions under a bunch of pictures. Uh And I would use these names. I had so many different variations of this stuff. So I put a lot of these names on there just for memory keys for myself. That one little one that crashed the web was a little bitty guy about two inches long and had all that sapphire and emerald color in it. Now, I just called that glass gem. It was like gems, plural. And Bill, like, said, whoa. And he put that on his website and left it on there for probably another two years. And then people got a hold of me and were saying, Greg, (laughs) I saw your picture like on an Australian food magazine or something like that. And I went, what? So I got back on and started looking around, and, yep, Bill McDormand and Bell are now co-directors of Native Seed Search. And I'm going, oh, my God, whoa. And I had thought about giving that, some of that, as early as back in 2005, I thought about, hey, I ought to give some, because I was trying a bunch of their stuff, Native Seed Search. I thought I ought to send some of that to them. Then I thought, oh, they're pretty academic, and they're pretty tight, and this is kind of weird novelty thing. But up to that point, to getting to that point where I'd grown it out and then I gave it to Bill McDormand, this corn sort of really did take me on a journey. And my contact with Carl Barnes when I was still living in Oklahoma and then afterward when I was in New Mexico that continued, this corn literally took me on a kind of a mystical journey. And Carl had told me, he said, when people start getting into these corns, because he had other varieties, and he would get people started in the corn and they would start having these epiphanies and awakenings and experiences and things happen to them. And then kind of after the fact, I began to go, oh, my God, this is what he was talking about. So before Glass Jam, as it became to know, sort of hit the streets and jumped the fence, there was a whole lot of circuitous experience that went on with it that, for me, was a metaphoric journey that I wouldn't trade for all the (laughs) You know, all the gold in China. Then I gave it to him, and then it was 2012. The people at Native Seed Search, I guess Bill had grown it. They put together an article based on what I had told them, and they did a really good job with that. And said, wow, this is what this is. Everybody loved it out there. I said, oh, wow, this is great. So I said, Bill, listen. So I've made an article that told the story from the very beginning all the way through. And he said, I'll put you in touch with Cheryl Long at Mother Earth News. And I said, okay. And I sent that article to her and they published it. They made a little slideshow out of some pictures that I did. The first thing that came to mind was I've got to get the story out there and I've got to get it out there because if this becomes like a phenomena, the story is what's important. Yeah. It sort of laid it into place and kept it like accurate. Now, Bill's story, that was very good, considering what little information I'd given you, but I needed to sort of flesh it out a little bit. And I knew that people would grab a hold of this and it would go off in a weird direction. So i, I got to get the story right. And that is a very important thing with all the seed, all the heritage seed we work with, is the story, because the story is the oral tradition behind it. Yeah. And the story is linked to its living genetic memory. And the people that have carried it for as long as this has existed, whatever it is, I had a friend in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, in Albuquerque. He has a nonprofit that he works with some other countries, and he called me up and said, Greg, I have seen on eBay that this corn is going for $5 a seed. And I said, Larry, I'm not going to go there. I said, I'm not going to go there. The most important thing right now at this moment is the story. And then to know that the vector, because I had been giving this out to people all over the place before I gave it to Bill just to see if people would catch on to it. Yeah. Here and there, gatherings and whatnot. So I thought, okay, this is the time for it. The vector that is facilitating this is a nonprofit that I believe in their mission. And that was Native Seed Search. And I thought, good, run with it. And they ran with it, okay? And that's how it physically got out. And when we posted it, when Stephen Thomas, who
1: was working for us then, posted it on a blog, that's when the Discovery Channel's website went down. They picked it up. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, there were like a million views (laughs) or something within a few days. There was a period in there when it flashed across the internet. It really became the poster
2: child because it was so beautiful. uh, Way beyond. I had thought if I can get it kind of integrated into northern New Mexico to where it's sort of circulating around up there because I really sort of bonded with that region and all of its rich diversity of stuff that they have up there in culture and history. I thought if I can sort of like drop this in and have people like like it up there, then I can disappear and it'll be good. (laughs) But I had no idea that it would do what it did. But what I do practice is like when we did the seed school teacher training in LA, different things went like the grain school. When I go to those things, I bring samples of the stuff that I've grown personally and people that go, oh man, I think I've started working with this. I bring them a personal sample to start straight up with as much diversity as I can give them and say, this is your start to grow it and then share it in your community. And wow. so whenever I find a person that has acquired it through whatever source, I say, well, would you like a sample from that has never gone out there in the marketplace, as it were? I found a young couple that in Española who grew it a couple of years ago, and I just saw their crop, I think I saw their crop last fall. And they did this really good job, and so I went over to their place. They're up in Colorado now. And they said, yeah, here it is. I was like my jaw dropped. It had taken another leap. And I said, your stuff that you're culling out looks as good as the stuff that I saved for seed. I said, save it all. That is really, really good. And then when Ron Boyd was growing it and another guy in Kansas that I met, we had like 21 different names in addition to Glass Gem, you know, from all those pictures. I listed them when I gave a talk, and we added three more. <laughs> But what happened in 2012, let me just one more thing, in 2012, yeah, no, no. Time, maybe 2012, 2013, I just jumped on, I said, I wonder what the chatter is on the internet about this. You know, cause I kind of like hold a low profile cause I thought, like, God, I'm going to get overwhelmed. I went on and I happened to find a thread of conversation involving somebody and Dave Christensen who did the Rainbow Painted Mountain. And they were talking back and forth, and it was like a thread of conversation that was archived, and I was looking at it. And they were talking about, like, speculating on how this stuff came into existence. And I'm going, okay. They were using all these technical plant breeding terms. Like, yeah, he must have done this and done that and done this and done that. And he was saying it'll probably peak, and then it'll kind of just segregate out and just kind of go back to a bunch of sort of, you know, basic Flint corns and whatnot. And, you know, that sort of burst of spectrum of color will be a short lived phenomenon. Well, what I'm seeing is like a reverse entropy. I saw it the fourth year at Jose's place. I saw it at the guy in Kansas. I saw it at Ron Boyd's farm. And I saw it with this young couple in Espanola and on my farm. It continues to like come up with new color themes. And I'm going, whoa, this is like not supposed to happen. (laughs) And I call it the chaos theory method of plant breeding. I just take the really good stuff and kind of keep as broad of a range of the really good stuff as I can Mm -hmm. so that there's all that library in there. And I just throw it in there and say, and I just say, go for it, dance. And there's some kind of an intelligence going on. I think of it myself as just a witness of its coming into being. You know, I just watched it happen.
0: Yeah. And then
2: it wanted to go out there. And I go, okay. (laughs) So...
0: So, so I want to jump in here.
2: Stuff.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I want to jump in here real quick. For those of you that aren't familiar with glass gem corn, Google glass gem corn and look at some of the pictures. It's every color in the rainbow, yeah. is it not?
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. Yeah. Greg, talk to us about Carl. It was Carl Barnes. Okay. Can you tell us what he was a professor? What, okay. What
2: was your relationship with him? And, he was... and what did you really learn? Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't even get me started. I'm still learning about this fellow. I met him back in 1994, and I just knew straight up, I need to get to know this guy. And circumstance had it to where I was able to do that. He lived way up in the panhandle of Oklahoma, the far western part, not that far from the edge of New Mexico, actually. But his heritage is originally, is he's like half Cherokee, half Scotch-Irish, okay? And it looks like his Cherokee heritage may have come from an earlier diaspora of the Cherokee people of the North Carolina area, Georgia, and that area, there was a lot of them that were sent to Oklahoma, but a lot of them chose way even before that, before that whole Trail of Tears experience, they went up into Missouri, and there were some that went into Texas, and there were some that went into Mexico, and it's just a fascinating story. They are like this magic predestined tribe of people that may have originated from Central America. And migrate a lot of those tribes may have actually the mound builders and all that. You know, we think of native people going from the Bering Strait and trickling all the way down into South America. Well, things came back and circled back. I believe it was his father that moved them out there to Homestead in the high plains of that area and farm. And Carl was a young little kid, and they went through the Dust Bowl, and they stuck it out, and that was in ground zero of the Dust Bowl. You listen to some of the history of that, and that was a phenomenally difficult time to live out there. They had done some stuff with over-farming, and then they had a climate issue that converged right there, and they had that whole phenomena called the Dust Bowl, but they stuck it out, lived through it. He grew up. He did some different things. He even he was actually on the Kansas Highway Patrol at one time. He worked with the Cooperative Extension people, did a variety of things. He did a lot of farming there where he was, kind of when he was probably in his teens. I think it was his grandfather that he reconnected with who was Cherokee and said, I want to know about my roots and I want to know what this is. And his grandfather kind of schooled him on this. And Carl, from what I understood, started to work with the different seed that was available and he found different things from different tribes. Also back at that time, a lot of the corn that was being grown was still had a lot of, you know, inherent diversity in it. So he was growing a lot of things that were kind of being grown. But he would see these off types show up and he would grow those out. He had a lot of communication with these different tribes. There are a lot of people in Oklahoma of different tribes. And he said, I think I have the one that might be your one that you lost. Part of his work that he did was to reconnect Some of these people with the corn that they had had traditionally before things were really disrupted in their particular people. That alone is so powerful because the corn itself is in the native peoples from South America all the way to the northern part of the U.S. and parts of Canada. The people that are maize cultures, the thing that they understand to their core is that the corn is the same as the human being. To the point at which the genealogy of the corn, as it has wandered through 300 generations since it was originated, it's a parallel stream of information, as it were, as the genealogy of the human beings and all their experiences and all their ceremonies and all their knowledge. It is like the library and the library. One That part of it right there is the part of it that I can say that all the money ever made on selling all these Mm. seeds plus all the gold in China. Stack it up, and I could look at it and just go – I could just walk away. Having a sense about that particular truth about it blows away – Anything that the conventional western mind and the marketplace could ever even get close to. I mean, I have like a great deal of gratitude for that privilege of having been able to witness this. Yeah. And the maze is kinda of like maize of the corn, you know. It's sort of like the flagship, but then you go into the three sisters, the corn, beans and squash, and then I'm sort of getting a sense you get into the sunflowers and the chili and the amaranth and the quinoa. These are the staffs of life that are one and the same. He has a lot of these one-liners that I just would remember, and I've got this huge list of these one-liners. He would have these sayings, and one of them he talked about, and he was kind of talking about the rainbow. Now, the rainbow corn, which became Glass Gem, was really kind of not really a, primary thing that he was involved with he was growing a bunch of other stuff but he had this and that's the one that kind of caught my attention but there are others that he grew that were really principal ones that i'm now going to this day and they're they're still developing and that's really neat but one of the things he said was something that along the lines he would say it at different times he would kind of say it differently each time but he said 144 colors tones and sounds the promise of the rainbow in the sky a new language of man and it was like Something about that, just like, got to chase that one down. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and that's uh, what over that Jim time that, started to represent. That, and, yeah, it did that. And that whole thing about that these seeds are connected, and what's happening to this day, the Native peoples that are reengaging their languages are doing this in tandem with reengaging their traditional seeds. And I've met different ones, and I just got to meet with... I mean, like three days ago, it was a real fortuitous happening. I was visiting some people near Wichita, Kansas, that are also part of this whole seed Native American stuff. And they are connected with the people up in the Onondaga, Mohawk, the Six Nations, Iroquois Confederacy. Those are the people that were in position to adopt Carl's collection. They have a whole mess of people that are working with all that seed right now. Right. And I got to meet them and it was just a Beautiful privilege. They were the same people that brought Amigdio Bayonne, who's our quinoa man at Tsuki Pueblo. They had already brought him a whole bunch of their seeds. So all this web of interlacing stuff has been going on. And the seed, with all that intelligence in there, is running the show. And it's mm-hmm. all these, it's seeds of all this stuff corn the beans the squash the whole thing and it's like i'm just riding it along i'm just a kid from the suburbs i'm just going with this wave and i'm going oh my god oh my god but i'm just going to go with it the intelligence that's in there is running the show and i'm like a regular guy and i'm saying this okay (laughs)
0: those of you that are just joining us we've got greg is it shane Is your last name shane yeah yeah And he's the, let's call you the nurturer of glass gem corn.
2: Okay. Yeah, that sounds good enough.
0: Does that work?
2: (laughs) work? That's good enough.
0: Perfect. Well, I've got some questions here if you want me to throw them out to you guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You got some stuff on the the docket. Okay. A couple of questions here. Kim from Tempe says, I planted two rows of corn in my 4x4 four four foot raised bed. When I harvested the ears, only about 25 to 50% of the kernels had developed. Is this an underwatering problem or lack of pollination problem? Yeah, go.
2: It's a temperature problem. When I met Bill, and I was in Cottonwood, Arizona for about a year and a half, and I tried growing this glass gem corn at a place there, and it was a really otherwise good location. It was in the hundreds, not as hot as Phoenix. But it was pretty hot, and I had a very, very poor results with it. The temperature for any corn, when you're in the tasseling and silking and the pollen is going, and especially in Phoenix area where low temperatures don't drop down to that low, then you have a problem with physiologically it just cannot finish the process of fertilization for each of the seeds. And they'll have these ears with only a few kernels that made it and the rest of them just don't go. It's because of your location, and your climate there. And that's why I mentioned that Tohono Odom people down there have a short season white corn that I've never seen it, you know, being grown, but supposedly 60 days, which is like absolutely beyond belief because they would plant in the monsoon, start in the monsoon and then the cooling afternoons of the monsoon when the climate was working right would allow that fertilization to go ahead and finish. But you're in a heat island, Phoenix, and you have uh-huh. lows that are still in the 90s. And oh my god, oh my god, it's just like it's just too hot. It's not anything that is. Her technique was probably perfect, but the temperature is what gets them. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Well, you oh, know, so well, she I, might she might find, find a friend ask, who lives up on the you know whatever somewhere and grow it there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, and yeah. I just want to add,
2: too, though, that
1: sometimes home gardeners have trouble because they'll plant rows, maybe just two rows, yeah. and that's not yeah. really good for pollen dispersal anyway. So if you want to plant right. in circles or small squares so that the pollen yeah. from okay. each male has yeah. a better chance of reaching all the plants, then that can help yeah. also. But we were able to grow Glass gem in Tucson, and, and oh, okay, if we weren't quite in the heat island that they were yeah. in Phoenix, but try planting earlier would be my guess. So Maybe the, the in there. Pollinate- yeah, you've
2: got that crazy long season there. You could try it. Yeah, yeah they could try it. As long as the, the time that it's actually doing the pollination is during the pollination itself. I've heard the temperature of 94 degrees when it's the pollen is trying to do its thing is the limit and maybe if it's cooler like than that in the morning, it'll set. I don't exactly know when the 94 happens or whatever, but if you've got that early Season and it does that. And then it can get hotter when it's maturing, and you might be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plant yeah, it earlier. That's, so that's, that works. Try it out. Yeah.
0: So next question. It goes like this, if you are gifted a special ear of corn and want to save the seed but only have one ear, will you experience inbreeding depression eventually if you started with only one corn cob because all the genetics came from that one corn cob?
2: Well, all the genetics from the mother plant came from that, but the pollinators might be partly from that same plant, partly from the ones around it, partly from the ones in that whole field, but if that's all you have and that's going to save it from extinction, yeah, go for it. But What I would do is try to find another source. I mean, you could grow it, see how it does, you know, work with it. Then you might run into another source of that same one through other channels and get some seed from them. You know, it's okay to grow it, evaluate it, save some seed. It's going to be a bottleneck there, you know, that you're going to have. And the other thing, you could even, like, grow it with something that is real similar to it, you know, and try that and kind of bring some new blood in there and kick it back up. Because it's like human beings. I mean, if we are like off on some place and there's only a few people, you know, it's going to have problems after a while, you know. Yeah, corn is just, like, really sensitive to that. Yeah. They're called deleterious recessives (laughs) that start expressing
1: themselves. What we teach our students is that you can always bring diversity back in later. I mean, will it be purely what you have? No. But those characteristics will still be there, and you can still find them, downline generations. If you'll cross it with something similar, as Greg said, sometimes more of the same kind of variety shows up from a different source. I mean... Now at this stage in my life I pray <laughs> that yeah. more will show up. And it does, you know, I think that's it's what I'm there. learning about yeah. that, is that it's actually writing the script for these sorts of yeah. stories I'll sometimes. And we're just yeah. the caretakers. But never yeah. throw yeah. it away. If you love it, if somebody gives you a prize to of corn and you want yeah. to steward it, then plant it, as Greg said, and care for it. Yeah. And more likely than not, if you're persistent, like Carl was and like Greg,
2: it'll find yeah.
1: a way. Yeah, you can do that.
2: You know, you'll probably find it again, you know, is what will happen. Yeah. Right. Especially if you've got a story behind it, you'll find it again.
0: I got a couple of yeah. quick questions here that I'm going to answer at the same time. I got Susie and I got Betty. Betty wants to learn about saving seeds and Susie says she wants to clean and harvest tomatoes and peppers. So for both of you, I want you to go to Iwanttosaveseeds.com, and there is a free webinar there on how to do that. So yeah. if you go to Iwanttosaveseeds.com, it's Bill and I on a webinar. So we'll get those questions answered for you over there. We've already answered them, so go for that. Let's see here. Kelly from Santa Cruz says, if you experience crossing your corn and some of the kernels on your cob are clearly the wrong variety, i.e. a different color, is it enough to just remove the those kernels from the cob.
1: Yes. Mm. If yeah,
2: what you that want too, yeah.
1: is a certain color, Greg, isn't that right? Yeah, I mean, if you no. have blue kernels in your yellow corn, you can take the blue kernels yeah. out before you plant yeah. again.
2: You could like steer it back. What happens where I see it if people have planted their plot and then their neighbor had a bunch of sweet corn and it blew in there, and then when that actually shows up, you'll see these little raisins, I call them, the sweet corn kernels, intermingled with your stuff. You can kind of like steer it back. It might take a couple of years, but you can sort of get, get that kind of cleaned out of there.
1: But that raises another question is – Why? (laughs) You know, Greg, several times tonight has talked about keeping diversity. So you might want to re-examine your own idea about keeping Friday pure. And maybe that's what's supposed to happen.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm just thinking like sweet corn will get in there and kind of distort the form of the rose. It's so different. But, yeah, I think it's kind of neat to have other stuff, you know, get in there, and then you just sort of go with it. Yeah. Colors especially, yeah. No, I say let them dance. We're in that time now, I think, especially with the squash, because there's so many, like, people could come up with, like, a squash, and they'll save seed from one fruit. Not as bad as serious as corn, but you want to save the seed from a number of fruits if you can. And then plant about 25 squash plants if you're going to do a seed save. And there's a lot of people that have picked up this or that from their grandma or different things. There's just little bits and snatches of these different old squashes. And it's time to, like, get all the maximas and just throw them in the field and just let them dance. Get all the <laughs> moshadas and throw them in there. And then let them just totally dance and then start pulling stuff back out. And now they'll have talk to everybody else, but you could pull, like, you know, a certain characteristic, you know, and focus on it, but you'll have this exposure to all the others, and you'll go, oh yeah, that'll kind of bring us into this next age we're going into. you know, let them dance, and then now let's create the new varieties out of that, you know, but because there's a lot of seed savers out there with just little bits and snatches of stuff that they got from a relative or a different thing, and there's like real limited amounts of something, and it's like they're going to have to get, sort of a little new blood in there. Stuff like squash would be a kind of neat one to do that with, I think.
1: This is yeah. where seed saving can help build community, right, around new oh, variety. Yeah. And yeah. the idea of just mixing things up may not sound right to some of our listeners. You know, that are more than I think they want to keep things or you straight. Could, so you can me...
2: do it in a limited way. You could do it a little more controlled, yeah, a little more focused. you got stuff that's yeah. really narrowed down. you got to like throw in a little new ju- juice to it, yeah. Right. Yeah. My point, Greg, is this, is
1: that I just read a quote by a really great seed saver, John Shirk. works in grains. And he has been growing out individually and keeping very careful records of very straight rows and things pure for his whole career. And he just had an epiphany the other day. And he said, you know, there's a real advantage to that scientifically for stewarding varieties and having material to cross and building lines for industrial agriculture. He said, however, I'm not sure that's the best method, especially for the challenges we're going to face with climate change, where the environment around us is starting to change so much. It may be yeah. that the varieties themselves have more intelligence for this and therefore yeah. he is going to mixing more. Just like you said, let yeah. things dance. Yeah. Let nature itself start to figure out some of this stuff. Yeah. And so I just it's wanted like to point that out that, jun-
2: that it's just yeah. another
1: tool. Yeah. yeah.
2: It almost seems like at this particular time, in some situations, that might be a good idea. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well thank you both. For joining me this evening on our monthly seed chat. I'm going to throw it over to you, Greg,
2: for any parting thoughts that you might have. I figured I'd just get on and listen, you know, throw in a few things. So thank you for, you know, letting me tell some stories and stuff. I hope it was clear enough for your listeners to, you know, like benefit from and. I would say that, you know, people should just sort of follow their intuition on this. They will be finding seed. They will be running into certain things. Somebody will show up in their life that will hand them something and just follow that. And it will take you somewhere that you never thought you were going to go. And it's worth more than anything. It will take you on a trip. <laughs> just enjoy it, you know. Yeah. And Greg, if anyone
1: is interested in Glass Gym
2: and stewarding mm-hmm. it,
1: taking it to the next okay. level as Greg Shane here has yep. been talking about, Greg Shane has offered through our Seed Stewards Program,
2: at the Rocky yeah. Mountain seems, Seed
1: Alliance yeah, to but help. Leanne's, Leanne's got a bunch of it. yeah. Right. So right. if you'll sign up to be a seed steward at RockyMountainSeeds.org yeah. and choose Glass Gem as a variety that you want mm-hmm. to steward, we'll put you in touch with Greg Shane, and he will help you through all your questions now what, and
2: iterations
1: now, as you start can, any of the questions.
2: Journey. I have my email and stuff on that. Leanne has right now about 50 little bags of about 350 seeds each which is like a good start I say at least 300 to start of some of my best stuff about at least 300 will get you that's like a 30 by 20 patch will give you enough of the diversity to keep the library going I've got those to Leanne at Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance to send out to the seed steward and that whole network of people that have signed up to be seed stewards. People in reasonably appropriate climates that want to do that. And my intent on that is for those people to grow it and then they have a seed source for their community to establish it among people there. That becomes like free exchange. It's open source. I feel like we have a great opportunity with the seed to learn how to give and receive without the conditions behind it. It's there. It's a beautiful thing. You know, Carl talked about pure relationships and working with the seed is the thing that engenders those things. If there's more seed stewards that are signing up saying, hey, I want some of this, I'll just send her more because I got enough to send her more of it and she can get it out there. And the instructions and all that in there. so
1: perfect. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Bill? I've never in my life seen an opportunity like this. You know, if you're really interested in growing things and learning about the power of seeds, don't pass this up. Greg has the best genetic material for Glass Gym. He's been the original steward, and he's offering to help us. So if you want to take, you know, Mr. Toad's wild ride and change your life, you know, do not underestimate the power that can come through this process. I'm speaking from experience. I'm still on that road ride and it's become one of the most valuable things in my life i think if any of you have seen my facebook posts from the last year and we talk about it here on the program with greg you know all of this has just been so grounding and so informative for us so thank you very much greg shane thank you greg peters for for letting me be here and all right
0: we'll be back in a month right we'll be back in a month thank you both very much and as i always like to say farm out and i'll catch you on the flip side Growing plants that thrive in our yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own.
2: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast.